Hello and welcome to this week's Kaiju's Review podcast. That was a bit, that was a bit loud, wasn't it, Rich? Jesus, what was I doing there? <laughs> Doesn't matter. We're, we're going to carry on. We're going to carry on. I don't, I'm really excited for some reason. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> Buzzing, too because, much coffee, mate. Yeah, maybe it's because we're going to be talking today about coaching attack, a subject that me and you um, love to talk about. And it's something that's yes. very relevant right now because we are both Spurs fans and we, <laughs> we know that Spurs is attack. Well, actually, Spurs in general are getting a lot of stick. Well, actually, Jose Mourinho in general is getting a lot of stick. Um, but no, today we're going to be talking about uh, coaching attack. And we're going to be talking about what we think are some modern day misconceptions about how attack is coached. Um, yep. How should attack be utilised? So in my opinion, there's three different ways it could be done. It can be where the manager has a set philosophy. It could be game by game adaptations or it could be adaptations to the club and players you have. A lot of that is obviously linked in together. Um, we're going to talk about some attacks that we think are coached well, some attacks where maybe they're not coached well, and some of our favourite attack in uh, some of our favourite attacks in football history. So, I guess a good place to start, Richard, would be because it is a prevalent topic, and it is to talk about. I guess if we look at a specific situation, Jose Mourinho and Tottenham mm-hmm. Hotspur. Now, I think that. A lot of modern day people, a lot of people nowadays think that modern day football, I should say, seem to think that attack is only coached or you are only a good coach if you attack in strict patterns, um, circuit-based training, obvious patterns of play where the coach takes as much control as possible. And unless you do those things, then you are seen as a coach who doesn't really coach. And I think that me and you both agree that that is absolute nonsense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. Uh, it's a very nuanced thing, attack, and um, and there's more ways than one one way to uh, skin a cat, as they say. So I th- I think there's a lot more goes into the people realise sometimes it's easy to sit there as a pundit or as a, a supposed expert on the side and say, oh, there's not enough attack being coached. I saw an article this week. I think it was from the Athletic. Um, Saying that some of the Spurs players, you know, insider. Some of the Spurs players are saying they're not. Um, <laughs> there's not a focus on on a tactical level. And you know, it's like, well, okay, but you know, let let let's actually talk. Okay, so I'm, uh, just grossing up there. I think it's, it goes hand in hand with the lazy sort of um, the lazy sort of stereotype we've seen over the last few months of of Mourinho's does past it, dinosaur football, that type of thing. And uh, unless unless teams are playing. Um, a very rigid structure to me, um, a la Pep, which is basically what um, a lot of those pundits are referring to when they when they talk about good football and coaching the attack properly. What they're basically referring to is uh, Pep Guardiola's style, which has been one of the most successful. Um, and anything that veers away from that is seen as not coaching attack. Um, but it's a lot more to it than that, as you as you mentioned. So I, I think it's not some time we do. Um, but yeah, there are, there are many ways to go about it. I don't want to be one of those guys, and I never will be one of those guys, but I do feel like it's a trend that you sort of see a lot from people where analysts on the outside of the game, where they're analysing in minute detail, and they seem to think that unless there are obvious patterns that you pick out and strict, strict patterns, that nothing is being done. Um, and that is what modern-day coaching is, perhaps because... That, you know, football goes in cycles and, you know, in the, the last 10, maybe 15 years, um, the most dominant sides have had pretty strict patterns of play circuits. But, you know, we've discussed quite a few times how 
football does go in cycles and I think you're starting to see it come back around again where teams are offering more freedom or need to offer more freedom because the problem is that if you do work and only work in strict patterns and circuit training, there is so much available out there for clubs to analyse nowadays and to plan for your, to set up against you that, you know, in terms of video analysis and watching games, etc. There's so much detail that it can become quite predictable. Mm. And unless you are in Manchester City where you know that, okay, the opposition kind of know what we're going to do, but A, you've got the players that can master through that no matter what, and B, you've got the players that can sort of interpret those patterns and work around it um, on the pitch, Look, it takes, then you're going to struggle. And a, that's what we saw with Arteta's Arsenal this season. You know, it's that they're trying to score from specific patterns. The players aren't quite at the level. They're struggling with a lack of freedom. And look what happens when they give their players a bit of freedom. They start to certainly not dominate games. They're still struggling, but they certainly have looked a lot more potent um, in recent in recent weeks, I would say. Um, and I think it's because Arteta's actually loosened the reins a little bit. It's not just pattern play. And I think that the answer is that every situation is different. And generally speaking, it doesn't really work if there's too much of one thing and not enough of the other. It's a balance. And there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, I think striking a balance is key. I think um, the downside of the formulaic approach, so we see a lot of um, uh, coaches, you know, the writer coach and uh, philosophical managers as, as, as we speak about. So, uh, you know, Argosman is a good example. Uh, Tom Tuchel is a good example. Obviously, Pep Guardiola is uh, the king of that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's fine. It works. It can be very, very attractive. It can be very pleasing on the eye. But the further it goes, goes down uh, that route, it does tend to, uh, it, it can kill creativity or it can certainly uh, dampen spontaneity or spontaneity, which is something I'm sure a lot of football fans fill in and want to see in the pitch. Now, it can be masterful when it's done beautifully. We've seen Man City pulling the part and it, it could be beautiful in its own right. Um, but I think if we go too far down um, analytical uh, pathway where, like you said, everything's everything is gamified. Everything becomes about um, roots and patterns, and it's it's almost like the when you watch the NFL. For example, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the NFL. I like watching the NFL, and this season was a really great season. Um, and it's got its it's got its plus points, but you know, football is for me so much more. There, there's so much more creativity allowed. And there's space for creativity in football compared with the NFL. So NFL is all about um, uh, reading the play, patterns of play, uh, running routes, and you know teams don't tend to veer from that. Obviously, there's creativity as well, but they don't tend to veer from the plan. And what we love about football is that there can be a plan, but there's also room for a maverick. There's also room for someone to be creative and interpret things in their own. I can think of loads of examples. If we look at, um, you know, we went out of the FA Cup 5-4 to Everton. Absolutely bonkers game of football. Now, a coach looking at that, if I've got my coach's hat on, which unfortunately I do most of the time, um, I'm really disappointed. And I'm sure he was tearing his hair up. Um, I'm sure Angelo is as well. They don't want to see 5-4s. But if you're looking at it from a purist point of view and just saying, okay, what is it to enjoy this game? It was a wonderful moment of spontaneity. I mean, the flick over the top from Sigurdsson, uh, was it to Barnard for the fifth? Um, it's, it's a wonderful piece of skill, a wonderful piece of innovation, wonderful 
the uh, creativity in the moment. Now, that hasn't been coached in an attack. It's it's more about what's happened. There is uh, a freedom of expression has been harnessed and an environment has been set in training and around training that players like Sigurdsson, players like Barnard, uh, are allowed to express themselves within certain uh, frameworks. Now, that's different from pass here, run there, set there, lay it back, you make the run, we're goal. Um, we can see some beautiful examples of that as well. Um, Barcelona have, uh, have done this. They're the leaders in this. And you see some wonderful patterns all across Europe. Ajax have done it for years where they borrow moves from, from futsal. Uh, you see it very often cut back, back goal. Uh, Man City, obviously, they score a similar goal over and over, which is nothing wrong with. But like you said, it's nice to see a balance where um, coaching attack is not a catch all time. Uh, what does coaching attack mean? Do you mean um, do you mean getting in the start of a, a tricky dribbler? Do you mean coaching a team to be quick on transition so that you maintain uh, an overload? Uh, 3v2 level? Uh, do you mean maintain possession in the final third, which is something we used to see more of maybe five years ago um, in terms of waiting for them to pick a team open with side rule passes or, or um, little random corner touches? There's many, many different ways to coach attack. Um, and I think that's the way that it should be. But fortunately, now we see it to see that, oh, coach attack means um, play with patterns, play with formulas, uh, and therefore it'll result in chances and more shots on goal, which I, I completely disagree with. I think there has to be room for creative players to do their thing. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, I don't have any issue with attack and how attack is utilised as long as it's successful. And my biggest gripe is where people are saying that attack has to be done in a certain way nowadays, and it most certainly doesn't. You know, for me, the best way to do it, unless you are a coach that is lucky enough to have your ideas, your philosophy, and be at a club that backs you no matter what and gives you the money to get the specific players you want, generally speaking, you have to adapt to what your players have. And everyone sees the game differently. Now, those that let's let's look at Mourinho, for example. Let's use him as an example because he is the relevant topic right now um, in terms of how attack is coached. And those that say that Mourinho doesn't coach attack, it, it is absolute nonsense. It's nonsense. Of course he coaches attack. He just coaches attack in different ways. So, for example, rather than the strict set patterns, they coach or he might coach ideas, broader ideas. So, for example ideas where it might be there might be interpretation so he might set up drills where there's a three versus two scenario in a certain area of the pitch and then it's like okay now let's see what you can do make it as game realistic as possible and allow players to figure it out for themselves now like anything it can go wrong if the tools aren't in place and that is also the situation with strict patterns now what we're seeing with Jose Mourinho and Tottenham right now is that where there isn't a set philosophy in place and set patterns, let's say you work on those ideas, when there is a bit of freedom, you do rely, and there's weaknesses and strengths to every single system. There's no, no manager has found one thing that works for all yet, and there never will be. Now, a weakness or a strength to Mourinho's system is that when you get those players and good players that can interpret, Harry Kane, Bergwijn is very good at thinking on the pitch, Gareth Bale, Deli Ali, when you get those kind of players, Tangi and Dombley, when you get those kind of players and they're playing consistently together and there's a good rhythm, 
they can be unstoppable. You can see beautiful flying football. You can see attacks in a variety of ways because they have the intelligence and the ability to interpret. Now, the problem is when there are injuries to key players in that system, when you have to play players that perhaps aren't in that rhythm or perhaps struggle with that aspect. So even someone like Hume Ming Sun struggles with thinking and making decisions on the pitch. Lucas Moura struggles with that. Eric Lamella struggles with that. And you've seen, for me, too many of those players play recently where there is a lack of rhythm, a lack of consistency, and that's why you're seeing it fall apart. Now, again, there's negatives and positives to everything. Now, you can say that's on Mourinho, and he's got to appreciate that you can't play those players every game. So therefore, there has to be a bit more structure and attack. But to say that he doesn't coach attack or to say that it only works by coaching set patterns and specific routines isn't true. There is no reason why you can't be successful coaching attack with broader ideas and allowing players to interpret and coaching on a training pitch, making the game as realistic as possible and allowing play and putting as many real situations in training as possible. So players, when it gets to match day, has good awareness and game understanding in how to interpret those situations and how to play with each other. It doesn't have to be strict patterns. It doesn't have to be set routines. It doesn't have to be cutbacks. It doesn't have to be, like I said, those strict patterns. It can be done in ways that successful, any attack can be successful. As long as it's done correctly, as long as it suits your players, um, there's no rule, if that makes sense. And that's what my problem is when people are saying that it can't be coached that way anymore. It's just not true. Yeah, and I think you started to touch on something interesting, which I think is important when we talk about coaching attack, which is uh, combinations and relationships between players. So um, things take time sometimes in order to gel, and then we start to see the best of the best of attacking players. Because the same, really, when you talk about defending, you know, defense has to work together, and, and we see defensive partnerships working together. The more that the, the more often that they do. The Longer they tend to, um, there's been really great examples of that which we think of. Um, I think the same is true of attacking, and it's about learning the patterns and learn other players. What early part of this season, yeah, we've seen you know apart from when injuries have happened and whatever. If we just use Tottenham as an example, but I don't want to just just talk about Tottenham. No, we're not. Example. I want to go into Aston Villa and Jack Grealish after. Yeah, no, no, we're not. I want to go into Grealish yeah, and Villa just, after. Set, just yeah, very point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just on, um, you know, in the early part of the season when Spurs were doing well, actually, what a fit chunk of the season we were talking right up until Christmas, um, when they were doing well, the talk was about uh, the partnership and the combination of between Son Kane and how uh, it was one partnership and they were sharing goals, one assist the other, and vice versa. They were taking in turns to assist each other. So, you know, they both near the top of the scoreboard, and they were both flying in terms of this as well. Um, now, one of my main issues, especially with more than interpreted nowadays, is that uh, when a team succeeds, uh, you know, we're, we're quick to talk about, about player and everything like that. As soon as a team succeeds, it's the coach. Now, uh, and we can see this example all across the league. So when Spurs were flying, um, I didn't hear anyone complaining about the lack of coming an attack when Son was setting up Kane every week and Kane was setting up Son every week. So where's the talk here about, well, the coach has obviously worked on the relationship between the two and he's the one who's managed to, to allow that to flourish. And I think we see the same thing with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So now the team are doing well, our focus is on uh, how well Cavani's done, Bruno effect that he's had on the team, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Rashford's um, evolution in 
really, really top professionals who's considered every week. Rather than well, hasn't Solskjaer done a great job <laughs> in the players together? And I think a bit of that involved as well. Um, but yeah, for me, when we talk about Zach, um, we can talk about individuals, which we will in a moment, but I think talking about partnerships is really, really key as well. Um, and the relationships that they form, because it is that, that it, it is such a fine line in terms of uh, arriving at the right base, arriving at the right time. And if it's, if it's just off, it, it can be off. If we look at Chelsea, they've got some fantastic attacking talent, unbelievable attacking talent in Pulisic and team. Um, Ziyech and in Kai Havertz uh, we haven't even spoken about Giroud and Tammy Abraham I know some Chelsea fans are going to go mad at that but he's a goal scorer he scores goals and he's delivered a very, very good goal scoring record um, so the talent is there to attack in all sorts of different ways pacing behind you've got skill and trickery you've got players who can run with the ball from deep you've got aerial threat you've got goal poaching so you've got pretty much everything you could you could ask for in terms of attack but it hasn't clicked it hasn't clicked for whatever reason now do we then say oh Lampard doesn't know how to coach attack or Thomas Tuchel doesn't know how to coach attack because they still have formed those relationships or maybe it's a bit more nuanced than that maybe it's about spending time on the field look Timo Werner hasn't hit the ground running nobody's going to tell me that he's still not a top class goal scorer um German international who scored all those goals in a Bundesliga is not a bad player it just hasn't worked yet Yep, I want to go on to two specific examples and uh, talk about them. So I want to talk about Aston Villa and Jack Grealish and why they are one of the examples as to why attack doesn't just have to be strict patterns and why attack and coaching is also about under well, It's about under not also it is about understanding your players and how to get the best out of them again. There are very, very few clubs and managers that can be Pep Guardiola and demand what they want and get what they want. Most managers have to work with what they've got. Now, let's say, let's use Aston Villa and Dean Smith as an example for me. Aston Villa have been my favourite team to watch in the league this year. I've adored it because of what they've, because of how they're coached and because of the players they have. Now, if you are Aston Villa and you're Dean Smith and you try to do strict set patterns and you tell Jack Grealish, this is where you end up, this is where you play, this is where you stay. This is where you move. Are you really going to get the best out of Jack Grealish, your best player, your difference maker? No. We've seen this season how good Aston Villa are and how good Jack Grealish is when he's given the freedom to interpret. Now, what Aston Villa seems to be doing is they are working on ideas that is more in tune with Jose Mourinho. It's, again, ideas. It's not strict patterns. So say, for example, understanding player partnerships, movements on a pitch, when Jack Grealish cuts inside, does Ollie Watkins run into the channel? Those kind of things. It doesn't have to be strict patterns, but it can be ideas. You know, if Jack Grealish goes down the line, does Barkley go in behind him? Do those two stay on the left wing for a little bit and combine and then allow time for somewhere else? Does Matt Target go and overlap on the outside when Jack Grealish cuts inside? These aren't strict patterns. They're ideas. They're ideas that can be worked on. They're ideas that are interpreted and they're certain they are patterns in a way, of course, but they're not strict. They are There is freedom on the pitch and there is understanding from those players when that certain movements are made that they sort of fall into that. And if you get those players and get Jack Grealish inside strict set patterns, circuit-based training, 
that's not going to get the best out of them. Now, if we go to the other end of the table, well, not quite the other end of the table, but fighting relegation, Brighton Hove Albion. Now, I do like Graham Potter. He's clearly a good coach at a lot of things, but they have had uh, so much praise this season for a team that is just above the relegation zone. And I don't understand why they're seen as a team that's unlucky. They're seen as a team that plays good football. Now, for me, you are not good at football if you can't produce in either box. That is where the moments, the key moments tend to happen, obviously, inside the boxes. They're not killers in their own box and they're not killers in the opposition box. And you can look at, but look at the amount of chances they created. Graham Potter can't do any more. Not true because the kind of chances that Brighton are creating, they're falling to strikers that simply aren't at the level required to finish those chances consistently. So if Brighton, for example, had a Harry Kane up front, had a Sergio Aguero, they would finish a lot of those chances they're creating. But they're creating chances when there's time to think. They're creating very specific chances, which it takes a certain calibre of strike to finish. Most teams in that kind of area or that kind of place in the table, they score from second balls. They score scrappy goals. It's set pieces. It can be ugly. It's strike partnerships now and again. Brighton aren't creating those chances. They're creating the chances that elite teams try to create for their strikers, except they haven't got elite strikers. They've got strikers that struggle with time to think, aren't natural-born goal scorers. So therefore, has Graham Potter really coached attack well? Because they might be creating chances, but they're not scoring goals. And it's gone on far too long where they're underperforming. People love to use XG, but they are under underperforming in terms of goals scored compared to chances created. So are they coaches attack well? Because they're strict patterns, but it's not going in the back of the net. And that's where my problem lies, is that there seems to be one rule for one and one rule for the other. And I don't know if you agree with that. Um, yeah, a great team with Sergio Aguero or Harry Kane is going to finish more of their chances. But I take your point. Exactly, um, but they don't have that. So the therefore, you have to adapt what you do. You've got Neil Mope up yeah. front, and I'm not knocking Neil Mope. So therefore, you have to create different kinds of chances for him because it's very clear that those calibre strikers can't finish these kind of chances you're creating. You might have to go more scrappy. You might have to go more direct. You might have to look to finish off of second balls and deflections and chaos inside the box. You might have to do that. You haven't got the calibre of striker to score those kind of chances. So is Graham Potter coaching attack well when... They're presenting chances that they know they're not going to score consistently. Is that coaching attack well because it looks good and it's creating chances? In my opinion, no, because the ball isn't ending up in the back of the net and it's gone on too long. Yeah, I think I think your point is about um, you know uh, adapting to the players you have uh, around yes. you, and I think that that yes. that plays into um, what you were talking about with Arsenal as well. So obviously, the, the the patterns and the patterns of play that Arteta set with Arsenal. Um, you know, a lot of them are very similar to what uh, what City are doing with, um, sorry, what Pep is doing with City, and uh, perhaps they just don't have the players that are that 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 probably doesn't suit the players that they have. Um, and I also think if we look at Wolves, probably that's another example where, um, not because of a fault approaching in that in that regard, but the the injury to Jimenez has caused them all sorts of problems because they they. Had and it's had an effect, especially on Adama Traore. So this season, Adama Traore hasn't looked anywhere near as good as last season. That's because he's missing one of the, one of his main um, focal points. Uh, he's still getting a good amount of balls into the box. His delivery's probably dipped a little bit, um, but he's in, uh, he would have had more assists had Jimenez 
been around. Um, it's not they've had to change the way that they play slightly. Podence has become a lot more um, uh, key, obviously Yuto as well. Uh, you know, it doesn't help that they lost Yotta as well uh, to Liverpool. So one through um, uh, you know a transfer out of the club and one through uh, a long term injury uh, that's really disrupted the way that the Wolves got things and become a massive influence and you see in the goals scored I think they've scored 26 in 25 games um, which you know obviously they, we, you know they're normally a lot better than that but yeah I take your point completely about Brighton mate and I, I think we sit up and down the league where uh, perhaps a coach decides this is how I want to attack and doesn't look at the players at his disposal first so I think that is that's a really important point as well Another point as well that I think a lot of people on the outside, because you can't analyse this, and again, I don't want to be one of those people, but you can't understand it unless you're involved in that world, um, which obviously we're very fortunate to be involved in, but it's how much man management comes into how you coach as well. So if we look at, for example, Mitsu Osari at Chelsea, now you could arguably say that they he'd done a good job at Chelsea. They got top four and they won the Europa League. That's a, that's a pretty good job. So why did he get sacked? Now, the reason he got sacked is I think that Hazard um, has a lot to do with that success. And it's also understanding your players and what works for them. Now, if you're talking about strict patterns of play and circuits, there's probably not going to be a manager that I can think of in the history of the game that is as strict on patterns of play and circuits as Maurizio Sarri. Um, It was, I mean, I've seen videos of their training sessions. There was Mm. like, I mean... the. You could see the boredom from the players. Now, we know that there's, yeah, he, he put in certain things in place at Chelsea, like they used to train later in the afternoon. So, you know, the players would train later, which meant they missed family time with their kids. That wound them up. And you could see the boredom in the players because circuit training and pattern of play can be extremely dull. It's dull to work on. It's slow. And if it's insistent on that, or incessant on that, sorry, if players don't bite into what you're doing, it's only going to end one way. And I think that actually the reason, the main reason why Sorry got that success, and I don't want to be disrespectful to him because he's had a great career and fair play to him. He's worked his way up as a manager and there's a lot to like about him. But if I'm being brutal and I'm being real, Chelsea don't get anywhere near that level without Hazard. And did Hazard conform to those patterns and circuits? No, he did not. Players like Hazard says, actually, I'm Hazard. I'll play the game my way and I'll win you the game and we'll go from there. Hazard wasn't staying away from the ball every now and again and only falling into patterns. Hazard was doing what Hazard has always done. He gets the ball, he runs at opponents, he creates a space He then where players can utilise that space. Try and get Neymar to work in those specific patterns. Everyone was talking about Thomas Tuchel's man management at PSG and how he used to train when you've got big superstars like Mbappe and Neymar. Try and tell Neymar to stay where he is. And I said the example earlier, Try and tell Jack Grealish if you're Aston Villa to stay out wide or to stay over there. It's not going to work. So part of coaching is understanding your players and what makes them tick. And it's one of the hardest aspects of obviously being a successful manager. And it's something that's largely ignored nowadays. And I know you will agree in terms of how much man management comes into coaching, not just attack, but coaching in general. And having players that buy into your system and what you're doing. Yeah. I think in general, uh, definitely, but I also think a little bit more in terms of attackers because, like you said, the man management of uh, of looking after a player, perhaps who's going through a, um, a dry spell in terms of goal or in terms of productivity and that kind of thing. And we've seen we've seen how attacking players, especially, 
and really thrive on uh, on confidence and performances and that type of thing. Look at um, Jesse Lingard's quite a, a good example. So a few years back, um, well, well, not long ago, Jesse Lingard was part of the World Cup squad, uh, did really well. He'd scored in cup finals for Manchester United and he was absolutely flying. Um, and, and here we are maybe two and a half years later and he's just now revitalising his career um, with, with his move to West Ham. So we can see how quick it can go. It can go wrong it can be, uh, for all sorts of factors. Like Thomas Tuchel, you were just talking about, he's, he's got a huge job now. It's how the attacking talent that he's got because he's got a like he's, he's got an unbelievable um, a red attacking talent, but then he's also got guys who are going through like Timo Weir, for example, um, and uh, Kai has another good example. Guys who are going through really rough periods in terms of their form. And how, how does he manage to, you know, uh, guide them through that while also making them a productive of his attack? Or does he just scrap that quickly and say, like, well, you're not the focus of my attack anymore. I'll adapt uh, with what I've got. She's running goals. So now we build the attack around him. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that go into it, but I think man management, especially for attacking players, is really really key because we see how much uh, confidence um, plays a part in in their in their productivity. So I think it's it's a massive point. But, yeah, thank you. players also become they, 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 they well they become tired, don't they? They become tired of of fatigued so mentally and physically of the same thing every now and again. That's why Ferguson was a master. And would say, you know, about freshening up the squads, staff, even ideas every three or so years, because it doesn't, so it doesn't become stale. So if you do, and I think it's with most forms of coaching, if you stick to the same principles no matter what throughout the duration, and you don't freshen up or change ideas or change staff or change players, eventually players will become, and even coaches, mentally and physically exhausted, and it ends one way. So again. It doesn't have to be one specific way. It's about understanding what you've got and understanding what players buy in. It's about getting players to buy into your ideas, your ideas being successful, and can you get yeah, the players to buy into them? That's a really good point. Players getting tired. So, you know, I'm sure nobody would suggest that Klopp can't coach attack, for example. Uh, yeah. Klopp, he's struggling since the moment he got there. And I'm talking about previous to the last three years when they were... When they've been, you know, super successful, winning uh, Champions League, winning the, winning the league and the, the Club World Cup and everything like that, and, and super dominant in the way that they've done it. Um, I'm talking about the early years as well. But didn't they didn't want for goals, right? Um, and it was the same at Dortmund. So I'm I'm sure nobody would suggest that Klopp can't coach attack. Yet there's been periods of this season where the front three have not looked like scoring goals. Um, I can remember a few games. Burnley, they didn't look like scoring. Southampton, they didn't look like scoring. Uh, they've had their moments, their really sticky moments where, and I'm not just talking about half an hour, I'm talking about game after game after game, where one of the best front threes been assembled um, has not looked like scoring goals. And there's more to it than, oh, he can't coach attack or um, they're working on attack enough or anything like that. Um, like I say, uh, the patterns can become stale. It can be, it, all, all attackers need to be off by, uh, a little percentage here and there, the run is mid late. Uh, players don't square the ball as often when they're through on goal. The confidence isn't there. Your touch is just off kilter. Those small things add up um, and, and can make the difference between, 
between your front three scoring uh, double figures each over the course of the season, providing double figures and assists for each other, or misfiring and going, you know, a, a month without getting a goal between the three of you. And it is, it's, it's fine. Um, there's a lot to it. And I, I think uh, a lot of it is down to individual work, individual training, um, doing the right things over and over. I mean, we just spoke with the player today um, about wanting to do more work in the off season. And one of the points that he brought up was he specifically said, I seem to be unlucky with my chances. I'm just not timing my runs into the box right so the ball isn't falling mm. um, as it was previously. He's got a lot of goals previously. Right now, he feels like he's just half a yard away from where he should be. Now, that's a small thing. It makes a huge it's make a huge difference. Now, now it's not down to the team coaching attack properly. It could be down to he's making different runs. It could be down to the wingers delivering the ball at different times. Um, or the consistency of the crossing has changed. It could be a number of factors. Um, so I think when, when we talk about coaching, we talk about the system. We have to talk about uh, the team and the personnel that that team has. Also, the style. Do you play counter-attack? Do you play... Um, a possession-based game where you're going to grind the other team down? Do you cross the ball? Do you play more direct? Um, there's lots of different ways to look at it. And then we have to talk about individuals as well um, and and how the coach uh, gets into the mind of the individuals to free them up to score goals. It's a big thing to score goals, a massive skill um, to be able to put the ball in a net. And we've seen some really, really talented strikers and talented forwards go through periods where they just can't get done for whatever reason they're not a bad player they didn't become a bad player team awareness is the one i'm thinking of again um but they go through those periods so that is the skill for me uh, of a coach when we talk about coaching attack how does he work with the individuals to allow them to express themselves creatively and also have the confidence to score goals and then how does he strike a balance or he or she sorry strike a balance between um the system and set patterns of play and allowing for uh, freedom of expression and different ways to interpret uh, how an attack should uh, unfold. Yep. So let's move on. We've cited some specific, specific examples of attack, the likes of uh, obviously Spurs, Aston Villa, Brighton, um, Chelsea and, and others. What are some attacks that you think are currently being coached well and perhaps attacks that aren't being coached well. So I've I've sort of spoken about how even Spurs at the moment they're not being coached attack well. They're not. It's not working for them. Uh, Brighton, I think that their coaching attack isn't going great. Um, but how perhaps Aston Villa are? What are some attacks that you think are being coached well right now, and attacks that need to be coached better? Um, and it could be for any reasons. Well, yeah, some things. Something I see uh, quite often, and I scratch my head, is um, teams. Cr- crossing the ball and when they don't have good headers of the ball or they don't have um, this is not something they're good at Arsenal springs to mind, I've seen games where Arsenal have crossed all 40 times and they, they don't look like scoring in a month of Sundays and I just scratch my head and I think why on earth are you crossing this ball when you know Lacazette and Aubameyang, they don't look ever comfortable in that position or like ever getting on the end of one of those crosses so i just don't understand the perseverance of a tactic that clearly doesn't suit the players so i think i think crossing uh certainly some some teams use it really really well 
Um, but I think some teams just throw the ball into the box regardless um, without any thought about, well, do we have a able to on the end of this? Are they, you know, to, to, the, to the midfield join with the attacker or just got one poor guy in there who's supposed to do something with my cross into the box? Um, I think crossing, um, not the actual quality of crossing, but the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole setup of teams that cross often that needs to be improved upon massively is, uh, from what I can see. No, that's fair enough. I agree completely. Um, so to end up, mate, or to finish off, what are some of your favourite attacks in history and how they've been coached? What are your favourite attacking sides in history? It could be because of a player. It could be because of set patterns. It could be for any reason. What are some of the best attacks in history that you that you fall in love with? That you And maybe even... and Let me... Tell me how you view attack as well, because I think that we view attack in a similar way. Um, so I want to see your ideal attack and some of your favourite ever's attack, favourite ever attacks. Well, I speak about specific attacks, like what attack? I don't need to speak about teams or, or, or groups that I think is fantastic to watch. So um, the way that I see, the way that I like to see attacks, let's, let's say, or the way I like to, to coach attacks, for me, when we speak about coaching attack, as a coach, if I'm coaching, um, I, I, I prefer to think of when we're coaching attack to set an environment. That's first and foremost. So it's not about, um, oh, the striker scores the goals or you run down there and then cross it in over here and those sorts. That comes after the environment. The environment has to be set every single day that we're aggressive, we go forwards, and the intent, the intent to score goals, the intent to hurt the opposition. So while I value teams, while I think it's attractive sometimes when we see a team maintain possession in the final third and pass a team to death before springing that final through ball, which can be really, really exciting. Um, what I like to see is, as much as possible, direct play that hurts the other team. I'm a massive fan of that. So um, I'm not just talking about lightning fast counterattacks, but attacks that are done with um, sort of you know, style and gusto and a little bit of oomph going forwards. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I like to see um, in particular. And I think, I think there's been some really fantastic examples. Uh, if I think of, obviously, Barcelona, the Barcelona, we all, all uh, favoured away to another team. They do both. They could do it where they could pass you to death uh, on the edge of your own box and then the cute balls in and around, but I've sometimes will get forgotten. It doesn't get highlighted as much as it could go uh, really direct. I'm not talking about long balls, but I'm talking about two or three passes to get the ball forward and then sharp, incisive play around the box. This is what I really like. I really, really am a fan of that. Um, and then, uh, if about uh, individuals, I like to see, I, I, I really hark back to a time where, where every team or a lot of teams had um, a Maverick style uh, number 10. So my favorite when I was growing up was uh, Ruby Costa. I thought Ruby Costa. I thought he was a fantastic player. Dribbled in tight spaces, could carry the ball forwards. Fantastic through balls. Um, but also, uh, a good goal-scoring record. Not shy of joining the attack. Could shoot from range. Uh, just everything you would want from a number 10. But not, not taking a million touches when it wasn't necessary. Not passing for the sake of passing, passing to hurt the other team. 
not not negative or passive or anything like that or or the worst side of ticky tacker as we know it can it, it could sometimes just delve into just passing for you know 800 passes in a match that kind of nonsense um direct when you can be direct um aggressive play that's what i like to see to be honest man i don't want to sound like i'm copying you but i can't well i'm saying i don't want to sound like i'm copying you but i can't really disagree with much i mean my favorite ever team that i've ever watched and i don't think i'll ever have one that i prefer more than the barcelona one under pep Guardiola. i mean don't really need to see say more about that you know messi via pedro xavi busquets um iniesta don't need to say any more than that that's probably my favorite ever team but i agree with you i i i i, I would like to think and i'm sure i would because it's how i view football that whatever group, let's say I ever go into becoming a manager, whatever it might be, I would I would say that I would look at the players I have and I would work towards those players. That could be set patterns. It could be long ball. I would look to be a success, either the now or build towards the success. But in terms of how I love football and how I view football, it's very similar and I'll always be grateful. Um, you know, honestly, I'll always be grateful that you gave me the opportunity to spend time with Palmeiras. And... You know, I, I fell in love instantly with how they do football, how they view football. And it was so in tune with how I viewed football. And it's that the idea of giving your special creative talents, your mavericks, chance to flourish, but attacking with passion, with risk, with purpose, intensity, aggression, creativity, not just stale possession, keeping the ball for the sake of it to look pretty, where the coach's ego seems to be the most important thing. Players with personality, flair and dominance and hunting to win it back and just personality and, you know, as you said, going towards goal. You know, at the end of the day, the aim of football is to score more goals to the opposition. And I think some people forget nowadays that the goal is down there. Head towards that thing. See those see those three white posts? Head towards that. That's where you want to go. And I, I, I yeah, so I'll always be grateful for that. I learned more in that week than... Oh, probably my whole career of coaching. Sorry to say that from you, mate. I always said that you were yes, my biggest influence. But, well, sorry to say, you know, I've always said you've been my. Uh, but I think that week with Palmeiras is uh, <laughs> has just about topped it, mate. But no, listen, like you know, um, it was a great, it was a great, um, it was it was a great example actually. The, the, one of those tournaments I was at with with um, with Palmeiras, and I think I've told this story before. One of the lads, he was the number eight time, and. He's still there at the club. He's, he's, you know, not quite in the first team yet, but he's getting there. And um, he played fantastic all tournament. He'd been one of the great arcs. He'd made goals and scored goals. And they played a game against Swansea and they dominated Swansea. But Swansea were very, very good. And they had a fantastic centre forward. And they had a very, very well-organised team with this special player up front. And Palmeiras actually lost the game 3-2. And this lad, who, who'd been one of their best players, gave away and I didn't go twice because he tried to make half it robbed. Um, you know, he lost the ball. Swansea went direct, bam, straight in behind, scored two goals that way. And Swansea ended up winning the game 3 2. I talked to the coach afterwards and I said, Well, what did you, you know, I was interested to know, you know, in the change room afterwards, I said, What did you say to your player there? Because he cost you a game that you completely dominated and should have come away with uh, the win. I said, did, did he get hammered for that? And he said, No, 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 no. He said, I can't hammer him. He's made me. He scored me three goals and he made me four over the course of the tournament. So he's, you know, he's, he's seven goals. So, yeah, okay, he's given the ball away twice there. He's cost us a game. 
He said, I've just said to him, just do five yards further forward. That's all. Or if you lose the ball, you get back in and foul him or whatever it is. So don't not do it. Definitely don't not be creative. Still be creative. Still have that spark. How, how you read the game is how you read the game. How you feel the game is how you feel the game. And it, yeah. the coach can't be for the player. And, and I like to see where the player's the one who has to feel it. The player has to feel the move and feel the inspiration. So if he thinks he can, if he can stick it through his legs on half and get on the other side, then there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And you've got to trust your players enough and, and, and have that risk and reward, um, especially with your great players. Don't get it wrong. Of course they'll get it wrong. Um, you know, how many times have we seen Delhi Alley? When you tear your hair, like, oh, there, come on, not there, Delhi. But then on mm. the flip side of that, He's done amazing things for he us. Scored, for he Tottenham. scores overhead kicks um, like tonight. So, you know, and well, the flick for Lucas goal Moore's Champions League. The goal against the goal against Chris. If you don't have a player who occasionally gets flicks around the corner wrong and, and you tear your hair out and go, oh, come on, mate, you shouldn't be doing it there. Well, then you don't get that goal. It's as simple as that. You can't have one without the other. They used to talk about Rooney. Oh, how do we stop him running 50 yards back to make challenges? Well, you don't because it's his personality. So if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. And if some games he hasn't got the energy because he's, because he's tracked back too far, well, then that's a risk, of re- risk and reward of Wayne Rooney. You know? Yeah. Okay. It, it, the risk and reward of having Ronaldinho in your team is that he's not going to defend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's that. <laughs> you know, but that's, you have to set an environment where he's allowed to express himself and then you have to have the players around him that, that, that are going to cover. And that's, agree, that, agree. that's what I, mean, I see in the tank. So, yeah, I, Great point. Yeah, I mean, point. yeah, no, yeah, and then looking, looking at a specific example. I mean, my specific Palmeiras. Uh, it was the under sixteen tournament I was lucky enough to go to, and uh, they threw over a thirteen year old who obviously me and you've spoken about a ton, and he's going to become a very popular name mm-hmm. in uh, wider football very, very soon. Um, he already is in South America and Brazil, but uh, and uh, under thirteen, or so he was, he was a, he was a thirteen year old. Sorry, and they were playing Reading first game, and uh, they were two one down, despite you know. Being the better side, and that's football. That's great. And uh, they brought him on with ten minutes to go, and you know he picks the ball up on the halfway line, out towards the left, burns past one, burns past the two, scraps past another, and rifles it bottom left hand corner. They then score a goal where it's one touch combination, and the ball ends up with a midfielder, sort of twenty yards out, and he rifles it into the top corner. They then end the game with hunting the ball down and winning the ball and being desperate to get the points. Then in the games after, they play Chelsea and there's a scrap on the pitch afterwards because they throw away a 3-2, 3-2 they, sorry, they throw away a 2-1 lead to lose 3-2 because that's football. And of course, you need to have pragmatism in a game. I'm, I'm a big believer in pragmatism. But what I'm saying is that, you know, the passion, the caring at the end of the game to scrap with Chelsea because you threw it away, the allowance to give your special player the individual freedom to go and score that goal when he came on. And then the understanding as well to have that one-touch combination of football between three or four players before your other midfielder rifles into the top corner. And just those moments, that day, and that passion, that variety, that that talent, that's football for me. That is how I view football. And I loved it. And I'll always remember it. And I know that you would have seen the exact same situation when you were with them, mate, obviously in Brazil and, and in the tournaments that you went to. And yeah, I'll always be grateful to you for providing me with that. And God willing, God willing, and I'm sure we will, mate. Um, I'm sure we all together go and visit them in Brazil. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. When we're allowed to. 
We've got another club we've got to visit as well, River Plate. That's there on our books. Uh-huh. They've invited us when it's ready. But um, no, talking about Palmeiras and getting emotional over Palmeiras, probably a good way to end. Uh, so, Richard, I've really, really enjoyed this one, mate. It's probably <laughs> been up there with my favourite ones, uh, coaching attack. Um, so, yeah, I guess all that's left for me to do is say thanks to you, mate. Thanks to the listeners. Stay safe and see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>